0: We read scripture from 1 Kings chapter 17, 1 Kings 17, we read the first 16 verses of the chapter, verses 7 through 16 constitute our text which we won't reread. So we'll pay careful attention to the verses 7 through 16. We read 1 Corinthians 17, 1 through 16. We hear God's word. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there, gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but an handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruse, And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went, and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. We read God's word that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, God demands of us that we live our lives in humble dependence upon him. We're reminded of that dependence as we come to another prayer day service. In the midst of all the uncertainties of life, the uncertainties regarding the war in Ukraine, the economy, The weather, we confess our complete dependence upon Jehovah God and our desire to live humbly before Him in prayer. The fundamental principle that's required of us is this. Seek first the kingdom of God. Paying tuition, meeting the needs of the budget, contributing to benevolence. These must be first. So easy it is for us to get greedy, for us to focus on self. And that prosperity that we enjoy encourages such greed and covetousness. We want more. We expect more. And we begin to live then for the things of this life. But here in 1 Kings 17, sacred history turns from following the kings in order to follow the footsteps now of a man whose name means my God, Jehovah. That name meant much in the context of the apostasy that was taking place during the reign of Ahab. Ahab and Jezebel had corrupted Israel to the point that Baal worship now was common. Elijah comes to Ahab, and Elijah prayed before God concerning the reality of rain. God on the basis, or Elijah on the basis of Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 and 23, had prayed that God would withhold rain, that God would not send rain. And God had spoken of the fact that he would shut up the heavens if Israel walked in rebellion and sin. Elijah boldly, took that prayer upon his lips, according to James 5. And that fervent prayer was effectual. And now he confronts Elijah in verse 1 with that reality. As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be rain, dew, nor rain these years, but according to my word. But then Elijah must run because Ahab is after him. And Ahab is going to try to kill him. A powerful illustration of that humble dependence upon God is seen in Elijah. First at the brook Cherith, and then especially in the care that God provided for Elijah through an unexpected and an unlikely means. A widow in Zarephath. Elijah's first was at the brook Cherith, but the brook was drying up, and it's striking he stays there. He sees the brook drying up, but Elijah doesn't rush off. God told him to remain there. He stays until God comes now with new instruction. And God now sends Elijah to a widow woman in Zarephath. Why? A widow immediately identifies her as someone that's going to be poor, someone that won't have the ability to feed another mouth. But God has a purpose. First, for the salvation of the widow and her household. She's a child of God to whom the word must go. But secondly, for the continued preparation, nourishment, and safety of Elijah. There's no place of safety in Israel. But now he must go to this distant land where he will be kept safe by Jehovah God. And finally, it's a sign of the chastisement that God would send upon Israel as God would now Take from them the word. God sends a severe test then to Elijah, not only but also to the widow. And God in this very uncertain time says, trust me. And God teaches us his promises are sure. He will provide our every need. We look at that this evening. Elijah sent to the widow, noting first of all the strange occasion. Secondly, the severe test. And finally, the sovereign blessing. A strange occasion, first of all. The brook dries up, according to verse 7. God had provided for Elijah at the brook Cherith. God had withdrawn Elijah from Israel, bringing him to the border of Israel. And now, God calls him to go into a pagan land. God was judging Israel for her unbelief, and he was doing so by removing his word from Israel. Elijah was a prophet, the one faithful prophet of whom we speak, of whom we read during this time. And now God sends Elijah out of Israel into this foreign land. Elijah humbled himself before God. He wasn't presumptuous, but he waited for God to direct him. Arise, God says in verse 9, Get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. He has to go now to Zidon. Now this is a strange situation. Ordinarily this command would never have come to a prophet from Israel. Zarephath was a land was a city in the land of Phoenicia, between the famed cities of Tyre and Sidon. It was a sin, not only to withdraw from the worship of God, but especially for a child of God to leave the land of Israel and to go dwell in a heathen nation. And now God is telling his prophet, leave Israel and go dwell in this heathen country. But even more than that, Zarephath is in the heart of Baal worship. This was the home of Jezebel, that wicked wife of Ahab. And Zidon then was an enemy of Israel. She was seeking to destroy Israel. She had military power, military might. But she was also trying to use her evil, ungodly, and pagan influences as they were now coming through Jezebel, married to Ahab. The devil was at work trying to pollute and corrupt Israel. God's sovereign hand lies even upon a world power that's opposing him in the extreme. And we see God controlling yet all things. God had one of his children in the midst of that pagan land. And God would preserve his word in this evil country so that it would shine for his glory. We have the reality of Psalm 2. God in heaven, mocking as Rulers rise up in opposition against God, doing everything in their power to try to bring down the true worship of God. But Jehovah God, overruling all of it for His sovereign good and for the salvation of His church. They were trying to erase God's influence. But God is using them to shelter the Word and to sustain that Word as well as to call one of His children to himself, And so God mocks Baal by turning the territory of Baal into a place of protection for his prophet. Ahab isn't going to look in Zidon. And so that now Elijah goes and hides right in the heart of Baal worship. Now Elijah, no doubt, had sincere questions as this command comes to him. Why leave a land and a people whom he loved? What purpose would God have for him to go to this pagan land? And how would a widow care for him? What an unlikely tool. But by faith, we read that Elijah makes the trip. All Elijah has is God's command. And he goes. Now, beloved, we look at ourselves in that regard. God gives us his word. God gives us commands. What do we do with them? Are we not so quick to say, but let me think about this a bit. Let me weigh it. Let me analyze the situation. And so easy it is for us to begin to ask questions. Why? Why would God require this of me? Why would God want me to do this? As children, your parents tell you to do something. Maybe a teacher requires of you something. Is it not our nature to begin to ask questions instead? to wonder, how can this be good? How can this be something really that I ought to do? God teaches us here through the example of Elijah, obey. When God's word comes to us, we must obey. And we must trust that God's will is good. It may not make sense in our estimation. How could this be for my good, Elijah must have thought? How could a widow take care of me? What's a widow going to do to help me? She can't even provide for her own needs, much less another mouth to feed. Why would I depart Israel and go into the heart of this pagan land? But God comes to us and God says, trust me, my will is good. And even when you can't understand, you need to go forward, believing that I am with you and I will give you What you need. The command, as strange as it was, is one before which Elijah does not balk. Elijah, by faith, goes. And we know that God had a sovereign reason behind this command. God was using this incident in the Old Testament to prophesy of the salvation that would come to the Gentiles. God had one of his children there in Zarephath an elect child of God, chosen before the foundations of the world. And she needed to hear the gospel before she died. And she was about to die. And so God knew the urgency of this. Elijah, go. But God was also using this for the chastisement of Israel. We read in Luke 4, verse 24, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country, but I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three, day, three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Zarephah, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. There were thousands of widows in Israel that God could have made use of to care for Elijah. God rejects the widows of Israel. Israel is left desolate of the word. And Israel, who rejected the living God, who rejected God's word and God's will, is now forsaken for a time. While God turns his attention to this woman living in the land of Baal, who is one of his own, who must be brought to confess faith in the living God. God brings upon Israel a famine of the word. And God points to the wonder of the gathering of his church out of all nations from the Gentiles. Now, beloved, that's a message as well that's loud and clear to us. God does not need you. God does not need me. God does not need Calvary Protestant Reformed Church. He doesn't need the Protestant Reformed Churches. God's promises do not depend upon us or anyone. God will see, too, the gathering of his church And He will see to the preserving of His church in the midst of this world. And He will see to it according to His perfect plan. And we must be thankful that God is pleased to make use of us. Thankful that God is pleased to continue His candlestick in our midst. Thankful that God is pleased to continue to gather His own from among our generations. In times of apostasy, when the church departs and when families depart, God goes elsewhere. He will gather His church And he will preserve his witness, but in other ways. Now, it's to Zidon, and it's to this poor widow. God had brought Elijah through one impossible situation, providing bread and meat through ravens, greedy birds that brought Elijah his food every morning and every night. Now God would bring Elijah into even a more hostile and impossible situation situation, to a woman herself, poor, destitute, about to die of hunger, who now is given the added burden of another mouth to feed, a woman who lives in the midst of Baal country. That widow wasn't expecting Elijah. She didn't even know about God's command. But God determined everything strikingly so that Elijah meets her at the gate of the city, according to verse 10. And what a severe test God is about to put her through as Elijah confronts her. We look at that, secondly, the severe test here. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there, gathering of sticks. Verse 10. Now God must have somehow given, the woman to know, given Elijah to know that this was the woman with whom he was to stay. And Elijah now requests of this woman a little water. Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. We read in verse 10. That request, she could honor. And that's amazing. It hadn't rained for some time. Water was in special scarcity. And yet, she's able to find a little water. Now it's evident that she must have recognized Elijah as an Israelite. How she did that, even recognizing him as a prophet from Israel. Perhaps by the clothing he wore, we're not certain. But Elijah's request, she sets off to Grant to go find a little water. Even though it had not rained, even though water was scarce, she could find a little water for him. But as she turns her back to go, Elijah then calls after her. Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand verse 11 and that's too much for the woman and we can almost feel the emotion in her voice as she responds to Elijah and to that request she reveals what she's doing she reveals her lack of food now in God's providence when Elijah had arrived at the gate she was preparing to bake her last meal The famine had been severe, but she had been rationing carefully the little meal, the little oil that they had, until now all that was left was just a little bit, enough for one more meal, and then they would die. No doubt her strength spent from days of having to eat hardly anything and likely giving the majority to her son, whom she loved. Verse 12, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. What desperation! What despair! No bread in the house. Nothing to eat. Impossible to find a crumb of food anywhere. No hope of getting a piece of bread for him. She's already been saving this last little bit, trying to stretch it as far as she can make it go. And she's accepted her destiny. This is all that's left. It's time to cook it up, eat it, and prepare to die. And all it involves is just two sticks. Two sticks are enough. She doesn't need much of a fire. Just enough of a fire To cook that little bit of flour and oil that she has left to prepare something. But Elijah doesn't turn away. He doesn't turn away to go find food from somewhere else. God had directed him to this woman. He must remain with this woman until God directs him elsewhere. And Elijah doesn't take back his demand. He repeats it. Fear not. Go and do as thou hast said. But make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me. And after, make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Verse 13. Elijah in essence says to her, No, you go, and you make it for me first. Now we're tempted to conclude, is this not selfish? Elijah has been eating far better, it's evident, than the woman and her son. Is it not proud, arrogant for him to demand of her that she first make it for him? That she use up everything that she has for him? And then trust that God will provide for her? Elijah... Beloved, demands of her everything that she has. He does so, speaking the word of the Lord. He's carrying out the office of God. He's not begging for bread. He's demanding of her that the widow serve the Lord in this way. And beloved, that word must come to expression in her life as the word comes to expression in your and my lives. As God's commands come, and we stand before them, and we respond. God had placed the same demand on Israel. God had said to Israel, you owe me everything. Me first. And you know, even as children, how God demanded that of Israel. God said to Israel, your wealth, your crops, everything, it's mine. And you need to show that by giving me the first fruits. So that when the harvest comes, you bring the first fruits to me. The earliest harvest had to be given to God. But Israel had forsaken Jehovah. They were robbing God. They weren't giving God the first fruits. They weren't giving God what God was requiring of them. God always demanded of them their best and their all. But Israel was unwilling. They were selfish. They were straying away from Jehovah God. And they wouldn't listen to the demand of the covenant. God had said, you are mine. You belong to me. You owe your all to me. Love me with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what Israel refused to do, the widow of Zarephath is now commanded to do. God's covenant demand is always accompanied with his word of promise. Fear not, I am with you. God is expressing through Elijah here a principle that needs to govern your and my lives. God first. Seek first the things of God's kingdom. Love me with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You belong to Me, the living God of heaven and earth. And Jehovah God, who has established covenant with us, who claims us as his own in Jesus Christ, demands of us that we love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that we give our all to him. What do you do? What do I do? This was a severe test. For the widow. She was a foreign woman brought up to worship Baal as her god. The Israelites were her hated neighbors, her enemies. A famine had devastated the land so that she had rationed all her food out to just a little bit, one day's worth left. Her and her son were going to eat their last meal and die. And now here comes this man from Israel, a prophet. And he demands that she give everything to him. That she not give it to her son. That she give it to him instead of her own son. And she's supposed to do this on the basis of a promise that this God of Israel will not allow her meal to waste or her cruise of oil to fail. Now we would be inclined to say, this is too great of a trial This is too much to expect of this woman. Beloved, this is a trial of faith to which we are not often subjected. Now we know the day may come when we're required to give up everything for the sake of the Lord. Perhaps it may be that the anti-Christian kingdom requires of us that we have to take upon ourselves the mark of the beast. And if we refuse, they don't allow us to work. They don't allow us to buy any food. They take from us all of our money, all of our wealth. And we get to the point where it becomes extremely difficult to remain faithful. Why not just take that mark? We're hungry after all. My children are starving. Let's just give in. Or it may be that things are tight and things are hard. The economy becomes very, very difficult for us. And we get to the point where we don't have much anymore in our cupboards. And we're rationing our food. And we're down to the last money that we have. Maybe the last $20. And there's no chance of getting anything more. Just enough, maybe, to provide another meal for our family tomorrow. And then here come the deacons from Calvary knocking on the door. Church is in trouble. We need we need anything you can give. And if you don't give us something, we're not going to be able to pay the bills. We're going to lose everything. The church will have to close for good. What do I do? What do you do? Do we give everything for the sake of God and his kingdom and walk away with nothing? How do we explain this to our children? We just gave away everything. We don't have anything left for tomorrow. To the widow, Elijah is a stranger. And yet this widow gives him everything that she has on the basis of God's promise. What a wonder. She went and did, according to the saying of Elijah, verse 15. In spite of her hunger pains, in spite of her son, she cooks up the meal and she gives it to Elijah. What's the explanation for this wonder? Beloved, the only explanation is God worked faith in her heart. She was a child of God. God gave her the gift of faith and she believed God's promise that God would be with her, that God would grant her what she stood in need of. And we read, she and her house did eat many days. She believed the promise that was spoken to her by God's prophet. And she expressed the power of faith that God had worked in her heart, as he works it in the hearts of all of his children. And she expressed that in verse 12. There she expressed already, as the Lord thy God liveth. Notice how she references God as Jehovah thy God liveth. There were many gods who had influence, who had power, and yet, She acknowledges Jehovah. But she does attribute Jehovah to Elijah. She was an outsider. Elijah is of the true covenant people. This great God is the God of Israel. But now God is at work in her heart. And God is giving her to understand. This great God is her God. And obedience flows out of faith and the promise of God. She believed the word of God. God gives her that gift of faith and she lays hold on it. And that faith shows itself in obedience. God's promise was, Give Elijah and you will eat. You give me everything and I will grant you what you need. Now, Israel had become corrupt. They had become greedy. They lost sight of that promise. They weren't willing to give God everything. But the widow, by faith, lays hold on that promise, and she believed. She trusted the reputation of Jehovah. She believed this God would provide for her. Now, beloved, that's a human impossibility. That a woman in the heart of Sidon, in the heart of Baal worship, would believe in the living God of heaven and earth. But the Lord had spoken. The Lord had worked that gift of faith. And what is impossible with men is possible with God. She would feed Elijah first. And she believed there would still be something for her and for her son. Again, what a wonder. God came to... Dwell not only in the heart of this woman, God not only worked faith, but God worked that selfless, sacrificial spirit. The only explanation of difference between this widow and the widows of Israel is God's sovereign good pleasure. God had chosen her, whereas God had overlooked those who were in Israel. God, by His grace, took His word out of Israel for a time, in order to bring it to this woman who was about to die, in order that prior to death she would hear the word, be brought to know and trust in the living God, and then would grow in that faith and in that love for this God. What a wonder of grace, beloved. What a wonder of the love of God for His own. She could not die. She had to hear the word. So that she might know Jehovah God and live spiritually. And so now that faith sprouts. And now, the word of God bears fruit. And the power of faith is evident. And she casts herself completely on God, trusting in Him, even though the situation looks impossible. Beloved, this faith is evidence of the power of Christ within her. The work of Jesus Christ in you and me as his children is such that he calls us to give everything for the sake of Jehovah God. He gave everything up for the sake of his love for you and me. He gave up his life as a ransom. And he went through pain, he went through agony, so that the promise of God might stand forever. That God's children would never be left alone, would never lack, but that they would be provided for to all eternity. Beloved, that faith showed itself in her daily life as that faith shows itself in your and my daily lives. God comes to us and God says, put me first. What's your response? What's mine? Is it not selfish so often? Greedy? Covetous? Or a lack of trust? To take a piece of bread from your child's hand and give it to a stranger? You say, but she had a direct promise of God. Elijah told her that her meal would not waste and the oil wouldn't fail. Beloved, you and I have the same promise and far more. You know far more about that promise than this widow did. You have the full revelation of Jehovah God. You have the work of Jesus Christ by His Spirit in your heart. All she had was one sentence. God worked obedience. He worked faith. On the basis of that word. And God calls you and I. Seek first the kingdom of God. And so as we gather this evening. We do so with that spirit. We do so looking to God. Trusting in Him. Praying for the grace. To put our trust in Him alone. It would have not been enough for the widow. To feed herself first. And then trust that there would be something left for Elijah. We must not feed ourselves first and then provide for the kingdom of God. God's word is clear. In Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. First the kingdom, what's left over for yourself. First the kingdom, even if that means everything that you have. Trust your covenant keeping God. First, the kingdom. But you respond, but I have debt to pay. I have children to feed. The creditors are going to come after me. You're never going to get out of debt unless you put God first. Trust Him to supply your needs. And by faith, we put Him first. By nature, we would never do it. But we have the same faith that God works in us as He worked in the widow. And that faith is as powerful today as it was back then. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. And God works in us the grace by which we put first his causes, trusting that he will grant us what we need. God works in us the faith by which we analyze our priorities and we pray for the strength to have those priorities right. To love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to go forward believing this God is my God. And He will care for me. He will grant me everything that is necessary now and to all eternity. And we read that wonder in verse 16. The barrel of meal wasted not. Neither did the cruise of oil fail. Every single day she fed herself, Elijah, and her son. Most likely... She used up all the meal, all the oil every day. But the next day, it was replenished enough again for the next day. God giving them food sufficient for the day. Just as he teaches us, give us this day our daily bread. He teaches us to pray. God preserved the woman. God preserved her son. Preserved Elijah day by day. And we realize the symbolism too of the bread and the oil. The bread pointing to the fact that it's not just by earthly means that we're sustained. We need Christ, who is that bread of life. The oil pointing to the refreshing of the Holy Spirit. We need Christ by His Spirit, by which we are able to go forward. God not just providing physical needs, but also spiritually upholding us daily according to our need. Jesus Christ and His Spirit sustaining And preserving us, his covenant-keeping children. And we go forward then, seeking first the kingdom of God and the confidence that God will provide our needs as he alone knows them. We don't know what lies ahead this coming year, but he does. We don't know what is to be expected of us. But God knows precisely what you need. He knows some have greater needs than others. And he will provide us with the grace as well as the material gifts that are necessary. God knows the suffering. He knows the struggles, the trials, the temptations that we need to face. He will provide strength according to the day. He may use the deacons to provide. He may use family members to provide. He may use other members of the congregation. He will provide. And we go forward trusting in his faithfulness, living by the day. Now, perhaps not as drastically as Elijah and the widow, though at times, even yet today, that's true. Paycheck to paycheck, week by week, day by day, confessing everything comes from the hand of my covenant-keeping God. And he who gives me what I need today will also be there for me Tomorrow, And he will be there the next day according to his need. But also the one who gives to me much today could very well take from me everything tomorrow. But I yet trust in him. Knowing and believing that I'm helpless. But he is all-powerful. And he is the covenant-keeping God who has embraced me in love. And who has given me a Savior. And who will Never leave nor forsake me. In that spirit, I go forward trusting him. And with the widow, we give our all to him. And we trust him to care for us and for our families and for our church. We pay the budget. We give for the poor. We pay our tuition. We give generously to other causes. And we know he will provide us with what we need. We commit our business, our jobs to his hand. We pursue God above all. We will not compromise our faith. And we trust that He will be with us. It may be that I lose my job because of my commitment to Him and to His Word. It may be that it becomes increasingly difficult for me to make a living because of my commitment to Him. But I know obedience is that which is first. As He works that faith within by which we obey and we trust his will and his way. And our assurance, along with that of the widow, is that he is faithful and he will supply our every need. We prepare the soil, we get the seed, we prepare to plant, we look to him as the one alone able to grant the increase. And day by day, the Lord preserves and the Lord keeps by his word and spirit. That word of God takes hold of our lives as it took hold of the life of the widow. And that word of God works in us the faith by which we live unto him. We will not die. Just as that word came in time to grant life to the widow, God gives to us the assurance of everlasting life, preserving and keeping us by faith. And beloved, as we go forward in this coming year, we confess God never demands too much, too often. God places difficult demands on us at times. God requires of us obedience in all things. But he who gave up everything for us is the one whose spirit is within us, giving us the grace to live for him and to show forth his praise. And we cling to his promise. His promise is sure and is certain. I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. And we commit then our way to the Lord. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we come into thy presence and we pray that thou will strengthen our faith, that thou wilt cause that faith to be evident in our prayer life as we... With Elijah, make known unto thee the effectual, fervent prayers of righteous men and women, knowing that thou dost hear those prayers and that thou wilt grant unto us that which is necessary. And Lord, grant unto us grace that with regard to our work and our labor, with regard to our education, with regard to our homes, we might seek first the things of thy kingdom. Trusting that thou wilt supply our every need. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.